the Purple Mafia with your host, Paladino Joey. Well, we'll see. The doctors would disagree, but what do they know? So let's just say that you'll pay me because it's in your interest to pay me. Is it worth it? I mean, you've won. You want to wipe everybody out? I don't feel I have to wipe everybody out, Tom. It's just my enemy. That's it. My father taught me many things. He taught me, keep your friends close, put your enemies close. These are wonderful things that we've achieved, and there's no limit to where we can go from here. Welcome to the family here on Purple Mafia. Join the Purple Mafia Minnesota Vikings podcast episode number 24 of Purple Mafia. I am your host, Paladino Joey, and today is Tuesday, January 20th, 2009. Yes, folks, it is 120.09, the day a lot of you have been waiting for, well, Maybe not so much for me, but, uh, hey, you know, it's your guy. It's the guy you wanted, the guy you voted for. Um, I'm very intrigued with the future of said president, number 44, Barack Hussein Obama. I wish him the best of luck, and I offer him support, despite the fact I can't say I agree with all of his policies. But being an independent conservative, I'm wide open to the possibilities of any president doing a good job, and I wish him the best, as I'm sure most of you out there do as well. Now that I've got that aside, we are ready to talk some football here on Purple Mafia. On today's show, we have a lot of news to cover regarding the NFL postseason. Not so much Vikings talk today, because there really hasn't been much news, and thankfully, Leslie Frazier, excuse me, is still a member of your Minnesota Vikings coaching staff, the outstanding defensive coordinator that he is. And, uh, hey, I'm pretty happy about that. Uh, of course, we're going to review the conference finals, the uh, NFC and AFC conference finals that took place this past weekend. So with no further ado, we'll be right back on Purple Mafia right after this announcement. Here on the sportstuff.com, we're bursting in blue with Timberwolves Explosion. Timberwolves fans, your show has arrived at last as we bring in a new era with Al Jefferson, Kevin Love, and Mike Miller. We're available on the sportstuff.com and also available on iTunes. Download and listen to in-depth and detailed coverage of your favorite team. Show your true blue and join this explosion of Timberwolves basketball. And we are back here on Purple Mafia, episode number 24, a reminder for iPod users. And the bit you just heard, Timberwolves Explosion, my Timberwolves podcast. Hey, they're starting to play better. Also available on the Sports Stuff and iTunes. Speaking of the thesportstuff.com, I forgot to mention <laughs> that on the thesportstuff.com, which is the home of Purple Mafia, we do have... A message boards 
there is a button in the upper right-hand corner on the front page of thesportstuff.com. Click on the button that says TSS Boards. That is where you'll be prompted to sign up. And in the little referral bar, which you'll see near the bottom after you hit the sign-in button and fill out your small information, referral, type in Paladino Live, two words, Paladino Live. That way I can be known as a ref- that I referred you to this website. I do not make money doing it. It is more of just saying, hey, I care about this website. Let's bring as many people as we can on board. And that is exactly what I plan to do on thesportstuff.com. Thank you always for downloading and listening to this show. Now we're going to get into some stories here in the NFL. We'll get to the news first and the game second. All righty. Well, first we're going to start off with what I deemed as the most shocking news during this. Uh, well, it's off season for some teams. Two teams left that don't have an off season yet. The Buccaneers fired John Gruden. I couldn't believe it. Now I understand they collapsed during the second half of the season. Um, I still remember the game where they lost to the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, the Bucks, I believe, were nine and three at the time. John Gruden dropping an fu bomb at uh, Roy Williams, the cocky, overrated, underachieving Roy Williams, who just was acquired by the Dallas Cowboys at the time. Yeah, he was just showing off at Gruden. Gruden did what he does best. <laughs> Chucky Gruden. Um, yeah, he's a very good coach, and uh, I was a little surprised by that. They also fired their GM Bruce Allen, and uh, well, they're going to replace Raheem. They're going to excuse me. They're going to replace. John Gruden with Raheem Morris, the uh, GM also, Bruce Allen, was also replaced by Mark Dominic. Now, Raheem Morris is only 32 years old, making him the youngest coach in the NFL and the second 32-year-old head coach hired this offseason, joining new Broncos coach Josh McDaniels. There are now two 32-year-old head coaches in the NFL. Wow, they're only about three years older than me. What does that tell you? That tells you I might want to pick up a clipboard, do some studying on little X's and O's, you know, a little bit of that, and, yeah, I might be making a little more money in a couple of years. No, I'm just kidding. I'd probably do better off as a basketball coach personally, but that's, yeah, that's for me to know and you to find out. Well, another hiring, of course, is there were lots of jobs available. Of course, some of them filled. We talked about those in the previous show. Now, the St. Louis Rams hire Steve Spagnolo, like he just knew Spags, as you could call him, was going to get hired by somebody. Well, I guess it was the St. Louis Rams who have one of the worst defenses in the NFL. And uh, I believe it was 28th last year. That's right, 28th. Took the Giants to defensive prominence and, of course, a Super Bowl championship with that awesome defense, awesome coaching schemes, just got it done. As the Giants' defense also struggled mightily before Steve Spagnolo took over as defensive coordinator in New York. So expect the St. Louis Rams with their horns on their helmets, you know, their ram horns, to do some some ramming <laughs> defense, pun intended, and future opponents as Steve Spags, Spagnola, gets his schemes moving with those St. Louis Rams in the coming years. It should be very interesting. Of course, that also proves, or pretty much leaves Leslie Frazier, as the defensive coordinator of the Minnesota Vikings. Leaves him here, thank God, as that was the most likely job to hire him. Of course, the Broncos were the other team that was very close to hiring him, and they chose youngster Josh McDaniels. Leslie Frazier going to stick around at least for another year. Maybe some better, more sexy jobs will be available next season, uh, though I think Steve Spagnola is going to have one heck of a career as a head coach in the NFL. Who knows, though, a lot of us thought Scott Linehan was going to have a great 
career as a head coach in the NFL, being he was one awesome offensive coordinator here in Minnesota. Of course, he was fired from those St. Louis Rams after a dismal, dismal two years in St. Louis. Just wow. That was just horrible. Uh, the 49ers, though, looking to bring Scott Linehan in as that offensive coordinator, a position that he has thrived in in the past. Of course, with our Minnesota Vikings and the Miami Dolphins, he uh, had a pretty did a pretty solid job as the Miami Dolphins offensive coordinator who had very little offensive talent on that team at the time. Of course, their starting quarterback at the time, Gus Farratt, as Gus and Scott left Minnesota, for Miami, that kind of left our offense in shambles with a uh, confused Dante Culpepper, basically. And, um, yeah, it's Scott Linehan, he gets a lot of credit for getting uh, Dante Culpepper to play as well as he did. Uh, Farratt, of course, successful under Scott Linehan's schemes as well. But now, Scott Linehan has declined the offer from the San Francisco 49ers. He declined the offer from the 49ers, who actually had a pretty solid year, 7-9 and nine under new coach Mike Singletary, the former Chicago Bear, the 85 Bears. Yeah, you get the idea. A lot of you guys out there, Dylan Richardson and Brian Cush, know a little bit about those Chicago Bears, just a little bit. Yeah, that was a pretty good team back then. Um, but, yeah, Scott Linehan is not going to be working with them. Um, you know, <laughs> I wouldn't. Man, if I were the Minnesota Vikings, I would be looking to make a phone call to old Scott, to bring him in as offensive coordinator. Nothing against Daryl Bevel. He's not the worst coach ever. But, man, if I were the Vikings, I would bring in Scott Linehan. But we know that ain't going to happen. The Vikings are married to Brad Childress's offensive style with Daryl Bevel, and that's just the way it's going to go for now. Mm. So I'd sure love to see the Minnesota Vikings perform an upgrade to Mike Shanahan or John Gruden. I mean, John Gruden in Minnesota. Oh, could you imagine John Grudahin, uh, excuse me, John Grudahin, whoopsies, John Gruden with Scott Linehan together, that would be, uh, that'd be a lot of fun. And of course you keep Leslie Fraser with that group, that would be a trifecta of coaches that would make me pretty excited indeed. Well, there's one NFL coaching job remaining, and it is the infamous Oakland Raiders spot, where rumors have started that former Bucks coach, John Gruden, who I just mentioned, and GM Bruce Allen, of course, both of them with the Bucks, could return home to Oakland, being that the spots are open. Nothing, though, is eminent, but who knows? It would be a best-case scenario for the Oakland Raiders, which is a meat grinder job under the insane Al Davis, as uh, I just, wow. I mean, that might be the best-case scenario, because John Gruden got the Raiders to the Super Bowl, even under the nuthead Al Davis's leadership. That guy is a tyrant. And uh, he's also older than the Hills. He reeks of Alzheimer's or whatever the heck. Uh, no offense now. I'm not trying to rip on anybody's health or wish bad health of anybody. But, mm, ugh, I don't know. I didn't like the way the whole Lane Kiffin thing was handled. Uh, both sides were bad in that one, you could argue. But still, that was screwy, folks. That really was very, very screwy. Another t- topic I'm going to get into very shortly when I talk about the games. Willis McGahee injured his neck. Luckily, though, luckily, though, he's probably going to be okay. It was a hit from a safety, Ryan Clark. We're going to get into that, though, when we talk about the games that occurred this weekend. The conference finals, a couple of outstanding football games by the Baltimore Ravens and Philadelphia Eagles, who put up a great fight. But, of course, do not go home with the prize, as it's going to be Arizona and Pittsburgh two weeks from now. 
And uh, it's going to be one heck of a Super Bowl, I think, despite some of you might think, what the heck are the Arizona Cardinals doing in the Super Bowl? A lot of us said that about the New York Giants last year, and they won. They beat the undefeated Patriots, as we all remember. So with no further ado, I'm going to take a quick break. We're going to get into the game reviews right after this. Here on the SportsStuff.com, we're toughing up on Brave the Wild with Paladino. Join me, Paladino, as we brave the Minnesota Wild Hockey Club on our way to the playoffs. We're available on the SportsStuff.com and iTunes. The boogeyman, Derek Bugard, says you better listen or he just might drop the gloves. Call up your courage and brave the wild with your buddy, Paladino Joey. And we are back once again on Purple Mafia, episode number 24. Again, a reminder for iPod users, the commercial you heard, Brave the Wild by Minnesota Wild Hockey Podcast. Podcast. I keep doing that. Podcast. (laughs) That's the other Minnesota Wild podcast on wild.com. Yeah, you might want to check out Brave the Wild for more objective, uh, you know, a more objective show where it's not... You know, Kumbaya are the greatest team ever, and Jacques Lemaire is God, and yeah, uh-uh, no, they're not. So do check out that podcast. Available on thesportstuff.com and iTunes. And uh, really quick, I want to thank you fans out there for making the ratings of Purple Mafia look pretty darn good right now. I really appreciate all of you out there. Please continue to tell your friends to... Listen to this show. Do check it out. I know there's a lot more of you out there, Viking fans. Do check out the show. Tell your friends to check out the show. And, uh, yeah, let's get this thing off the ground and into this, the hemisphere. No, the, <laughs> into the stratosphere. I'm just kidding. Up into the stratosphere. That would be awesome stuff. Well, folks, the conference finals took place this weekend, and they were they did not disappoint at all. They really didn't. First, of course, we are going to get into the early game, Philadelphia Eagles and the Arizona Cardinals. Of course, the Arizona Cardinals win this game. 32-25, to advance to the Super Bowl for the first time in franchise history. An amazing run, as Kurt Warner, of course, has resurrected both teams that played in St. Louis. Both teams that played in St. Louis, of course, starting off with a team that played in L.A., became the St. Louis Rams, and uh, both teams, of course, were doormats in the NFL before Kurt Warner got there, just straight-up doormats with no playoff success really much. Uh, you know, the Rams had some playoff success in the 70s and one small run to the NFC Championship in 89. Of course, none of them ultra-competitive when they got to the big games. Kurt Warner, though, was the man that made the difference for the St. Louis Rams in the year 1999. Nine years ago, at the time, nine years ago, because it finished in uh, the Super Bowl ended in 2000, just like this one's going to end in 2009. You get the idea. But yeah, Kurt Warner resurrected a doormat franchise and uh, brought them a Super Bowl championship. Now he goes to the Arizona Cardinals all these years later after a stint with the New York Giants, a fairly solid stint, not great, but solid. Comes to Arizona, starts off okay. He was brought in by Dennis Green. Dennis Green likes Kurt Warner. Kurt Warner's a very nice quarterback. Look what he did with St. Louis. But, yeah, he brings he goes to the former St. Louis team, the Cardinals. Has a couple of okay years. But now Kurt Warner has returned 
to NFL prominence. He was an MVP an MVP candidate most of the year until the swoon late in the season. Had a very solid year last year in 2007. In 14 games, he had a quarterback rating of 90. 27 touchdowns, 17 interceptions, but this year, just remarkable. I mean, 4,500 yards, almost 40, 4,583, so almost 4,600 yards. Played all 16 games. Quarterback rating of 97, 30 touchdowns, 14 interceptions. Looks like the Kurt Warner of old, a guy that Al Michaels, excuse me, Al Michaels, dubbed as the next Johnny Unitas during that amazing 2001 season for the St. Louis Rams, which unfortunately for them ended in upset loss to the soon-to-be-a-dynasty at the time, New England Patriots, with a young quarterback there. But, uh, yeah, look at the, the St. Louis Cardinals right now. Look at what they've accomplished. They came out with an energy in this game that <laughs> that rivals nobody. I mean, they did an awesome job. There are no rivals for the Arizona Cardinals on this particular day, though the Philadelphia Eagles were able to get strong later in the game. We'll get to that shortly, though. Kurt Warner guides the Arizona Cardinals on a very successful drive, ending on a nine-yard pass to Larry Fitzgerald, who pointed to the crowd saying, oh, yeah, let's let's get this party started, baby. David Akers then able to hit a 45-yard field goal, thankfully, to get the Eagles in the game. He missed one earlier, though, which was unfortunate. Much to the chagrin of the Philadelphia Eagles that they really have to, had to cut out a lot of drives, especially in the first half, just to get in field goal range. And to see David Akers miss a field goal was quite frustrating. Being This guy has had some serious success in his career. So it's like, what's going on here? Why are you missing? Why are you screwing up for us? You know, that's what the Eagles are thinking. Uh, second quarter, though, was just unbelievable. First quarter, of course, ends 7-3. to three. Unbelievable quarter for the Arizona Cardinals. Early on, Kurt Warner... He was able to launch the ball up in the air about 40 yards to a wide open Larry Fitzgerald. Caught the ball at about the 20, and he was just totally unscathed, able to just get right on into the end zone. Officially a 62-yard touchdown. Kurt Warner to Larry Fitzgerald, and uh, it was like, oh, oh, I got a sneaky feeling these Cardinals are going to go to the Super Bowl, even though it's like, no, man, there's no way the Cardinals are going to the Super Bowl, right? Oh boy, yeah, it was 14 to 3 after that. Of course, Neil Rackers getting his extra point accomplished. <laughs> Some teams, sometimes they screw those up, but not Neil Rackers today. David Akers on the following drive. The Eagles got out a solid drive, but unfortunately not able to score a touchdown. They were, they had to settle for a 33 yard field goal. But this one went in at least. It was only 33 yards, that better. But then, a drive later, another solid drive for the Arizona Cardinals. Lasted about six minutes. Ended with another touchdown pass to Larry Fitzgerald. This was just a one-yarder, a goal-line deal. Uh, a lot of calls early in this game did not go the Eagles' way, per se, you could say. But, I mean, some calls were made either way, I guess. But a lot of calls did not go the Eagles' way in this game at times. Except one that happened in the second half. But, uh... Yep, Larry Fitzgerald pointing to the crowd again, one-yard catch, 21-6. to You knew the Eagles were in deep, deep trouble at this point in time. And then a late drive, Arizona once again, as things just did not work out for McNabb on the previous drive. 
Neil Rackers is able to hit a 49-yard field goal, almost 50 yards, just to put the icing on the cake at a 24-6 lead. As you know, historically, teams leading at halftime win these type of games, except the Vikings back in 98. Uh, him. Uh, yeah, that didn't work out too good, but generally the home team, or not the home team, but the team that is ahead at halftime, tends to win these type of games. Philadelphia, though, trying to change that history, coming out firing in the second half, going at it big time. But uh, unfortunately, they were un- weren't able to score. <laughs> they came out firing, but weren't able to get anywhere. Um, Arizona Cardinals not able to get anywhere either. Thankfully for the Eagles, their defense finally woke up and shut down the Arizona Cardinals, at least for the third quarter, as the Eagles finally started to make some type of a run. Later in the third quarter, Donovan McNabb finally able to complete a drive, hitting Brent Selleck for a six-yard touchdown, making it 24-13 and giving us a football game, finally. And again, not long after that, (laughs) the Philadelphia Eagles are able to complete another drive, hitting Brent Selleck again, a 32-yard touchdown, making it 24-19, and it's like, oh, baby, here they come. Here come the Philadelphia Eagles. Maybe my prediction is going to be right. The Eagles are going to go to the Super Bowl and win. They're going to beat the Steelers in the Pen Bowl. Mm, maybe. <laughs> As uh, Eagles able to stop the Cardinals again, get the ball back yet again. And it's like, oh, man, they have a chance to take the lead. Donovan McNabb is able to hit Deshaun Jackson. Deshaun Jackson was volleying that ball around, tip, 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 and then whoop. Got it in his hand and able to break loose. Kind of similar. Looked kind of similar to uh, Kurt Warner to Fitzgerald a little bit. A little bit. It was also a 62-yard touchdown, which is kind of funny. And it did look similar as he just kind of flew open up the middle and was able to score. Was able to scamper on in. About This was about 10 yards away from the end zone when he caught it. And uh, the Eagles trying to take a three-point lead, a smart decision instead of just a two-point lead. And... Uh, well, unfortunately, they weren't able to complete that. Donovan McNabb, when he stepped back to pass, well, after about a second and a half or so, he was open enough. I thought he had a legitimate shot to run that ball into the end zone to give the Eagles a three-point lead. Unfortunately, he elects to make a very difficult pass, which was not able, which was not catchable to Brian Westbrook. It just didn't happen. He had to throw it way too far to the side to avoid some type of interception or something. Of course, on a two-point conversion, an interception is not a live ball. The play is dead. It's all over. But still, man, that's a bummer. He should have. He, if I were Donovan McNabb, I would have tried to run that in. But that's just me. Unfortunately, the Philadelphia offense could not get it done the rest of the way, and the Philadelphia Eagles made what would be a game-winning drive. Not about three minutes later, and eventually ended with 2:53 remaining. Because Kurt Warner was able to get Tim Hightower. Now, Tim Hightower, there were about three Eagles standing pretty close to Tim Hightower when he caught the ball, eight yards away. It was just one of those little screen pass, catch-and-try-to-run catch and type of plays. It was third down, too. Unfortunately, Tim Hightower was able to break through those Eagles. I don't know, that was some poor tackling, in my opinion. And, uh, yeah, it was a touchdown that put the uh, Cardinals ahead by five, and then they were also able to convert the two-point conversion, a pass to Ben Patrick from Kurt Warner, making it 32-25, to and the Eagles 
final attempt to tie the game or whatever just did not work out. It did not get anywhere, and unfortunately, that was all she wrote for the Philadelphia Eagles, and the Arizona Cardinals were on their way to the Super Bowl. It's after the failed offensive attempt by the Philadelphia Eagles flopped at about the 50-yard line, a turnover on downs. The Eagles simply had to kneel down. That was it, and uh, man, something we, something I, I don't know if we'll ever see again in Minnesota, confetti flying from the skies, and Kurt Warner pointing to the sky and thanking his Lord as, <laughs> for the second time in his career, he has resurrected a, as I said, a doormat franchise and moved them into the Super Bowl, and maybe he'll do it again. Just maybe he'll do it again. Kurt Warner, a four-touchdown game. Could have used him in my fantasy, you know, <laughs> Super Bowl with a game like that, but he didn't do that. Whatever, though. <laughs> That's just how that goes. Uh, I can't believe the Arizona Cardinals are in the Super Bowl. A lot of us saw them losing to Atlanta in round one because the way they swooned at the end of the year, it's like, who really had any faith in this team? And, um, well, they're in the Super Bowl. I guess that's what counts, right? So now we're going to quickly move on to the AFC Championship game, which was not nearly as exciting, not even close. Before that, though, really quick, there was a strange play in the game with the Philadelphia Eagles. There was a call that totally went the Eagles' way. A ball that clearly touched, uh, I believe it was number 94, I forget his name, touched his elbow, I believe, or thigh or hamstring, whatever, on a kickoff. I don't know why this guy was going after the ball anyway. He was pretty dumb. Should have just let it go out of bounds. But fortunately for the Eagles, they said the ball did not touch him. And uh, it was not Arizona ball when the when the Cardinals dove on the ball and recovered it. But, uh, yeah. Eagles couldn't capitalize on that either, and that's what counts most. You you get a call go your way, you better capitalize on it and take the take advantage of it. But it didn't work out. All right, sorry. Now, sorry for that. I just had to make sure I mentioned that play. Pittsburgh Steelers defeat the Baltimore Ravens 23 to 14 in not the most exciting game I've ever seen. Um, impressive run by the Baltimore Ravens. They were the only team I was correct on in the final four. I thought the Steelers were going to get beat by the Colts, ultimately, but, you know, I thought the winner of San Diego and Indianapolis would go to the Super Bowl, so I had to stick with that, even though the stupid Chargers won <laughs> the previous week. Uh, so, yeah, Baltimore Ravens, a team that can win on the road, and they did it twice, but could not do it on this particular day. Uh, it just wasn't the kind of game you can go with a mediocre rookie quarterback and Joe Flacco into the steel curtain defense in Pittsburgh and an AFC championship game. I just didn't have much faith in the guy, and uh, that's what happened. Now, neither offense really <laughs> could convert much, especially in the first quarter. Uh, Jeff Reed was the tough guy. Jeff Reed has got some big biceps, by the way. My God, for a kicker, that guy's huge. Uh, yeah, able to get a 34-yard field goal. Early on, Pittsburgh took an early lead, only about three and a half minutes into the game, and about another four minutes later, gets a 42-yarder. Oh, goody. So the Pittsburgh Steelers up 6 to nothing. Ben Roethlisberger, though, on a much more exciting play, was able to hit Santonio Holmes. I don't know where the coverage was on this play for the Baltimore Ravens. But, uh, yeah, you know, it was just like Vincent Jackson and Larry Fitzgerald, you know, on those catches. It was, I mean, I swear, it was like... There were three plays like this in this day where the ball was caught. The coverage is just clearly blown, 
and the guy was able to scamper loose for a touchdown, and that's what happened with Santonio. Santonio Holmes, 65 yards for this one, putting the Steelers up 13-0, and it's like, yeah, yeah, Baltimore's done. They, they have about the offense of a, you know, they have the offense of a statue. You know, they can't move. Unfortunately, they proved me wrong a little bit, completing a very solid drive, finally. Joe Flacco started completing a few passes, and even more importantly, the running backs, McGahee and McLean, were getting through a little bit on this particular day. McGahee was able to complete a drive, a three-yard touchdown, and ultimately making it 13-7 to before the half. But then the Steelers, in a very boring, a dreadfully boring third quarter, where teams pretty much just traded stops along the way, and uh, Flacco did his thing, throwing interception after interception on this day who, by the way, had three interceptions and a quarterback rating of 18.2, which is putrid, completing only 13 of 30 passes. Good for 43%, Joe. Thanks, Joe. It's G.I. Joe Flacco getting a uh, pretty low rating there. Yeah. Jeff Reed getting the uh, Steelers' only scoring drive, the only scoring drive of the entire quarter. With only 3.38 left to go, getting a 46-yarder, making it 16-7, and I was just shaking my head, yeah, we're screwed. We're not we, but they're screwed, the Baltimore Ravens. Um, and the guy who was really the player of the game easily for the Baltimore Ravens, a kind of maligned Willis McGay. He was a little maligned because I, I thought he should be better than he was this year, but he was okay. He was able to complete... What was another solid drive for Baltimore, making me a little bit of a believer, like, hey, Baltimore's in this game all of a sudden. You know, with defense like theirs, maybe they could get another shot at this. Willis McGee was able to complete a uh, drive that it was a one-yard goal line play. Willis McGee, he gets in for his second touchdown of the day. Two touchdowns, 60 yards, ultimately the final Final numbers for Willis McGee, who we'll get into in a second, making it 14-16, as I said. But then... uh, Joe Flacco just, you know, on the after the uh, Baltimore Ravens were able to shut down Ben Roethlisberger and the Steelers, so Willie Parker hardly could move on this particular day, which was good news for the Baltimore Ravens. Joe Flacco and the Ravens had the ball back on an opportunity to do something. All they needed was a field goal from their solid kicker, Matt Stover. But Joe Flacco threw a pass right to Troy Polamalu. Troy Polamalu, who's got one of the ugliest hairdos I've ever seen, makes the interception and was able to just break loose. I mean, all the energy was out of the Baltimore Ravens at this point in time. Polamalu went the distance, 40 yards, and a touchdown, 23-14. Joe Flacco, that was bad. And I understand you're a rookie quarterback. And, yeah, I don't think I could do very good against the Pittsburgh Steelers either. I'm sure I couldn't. I don't think anybody else could either much. But, uh, Shucks, Peyton Manning would have trouble with them. But, uh, yeah, that that sucked. That sucked, and it was very disappointing, being I was totally rooting for Baltimore to get into the Super Bowl. That would have been really cool. But uh, they didn't. On the following drive was, of course, the Ravens get the ball back after that. That's obvious. We all know how that works. Uh Willis McGahee earlier, though, I'll say really quick, had a kind of a scary moment where he looked like he may have hurt his knee. Luckily, he was able to get back into the game and get back at it. He catches a short little screen pass and is crushed in a head-to-head collision from safety. Ryan Clark was trying to put the big hit on Willis McGahee. 
uh, for a while, both players were on the ground, and there were players and trainers and coaches all over the field for both teams for quite a while. Ryan Clark gets up and is fine, luckily. He just kind of walks off, and he's okay and hoping for the best. Uh, Ray Lewis on the ground, you could just, you know, on one knee, just praying and hoping and praying and hoping for his teammate and comrade, Willis McGahee. It was a scary moment. I mean, Willis McGahee, he's had that he had that horrible knee injury in his college career where he tore multiple tendons in his knee. You just, you, you just had to feel for this this guy, despite the fact he ran Henry out of Buffalo a few years ago, just saying, if I'm not the starter, I want to be traded, basically, and that was kind of a bummer. But um, that all was out the window on this particular night, as you hope for the best for this guy. As he was not getting up, folks. He was not getting up. And, uh, man, I was very concerned. Of course, he was on my fantasy team, so it's like, of course, you know, it was a little extra attachment there, I guess. Now, of course, not on my fantasy team anymore. But uh, you just hope and pray this guy's okay because, yeah, you know, you don't you don't want to wish anybody this kind of injury. And then you see his legs move and his hands move, and it's like, oh, good. Well, at least he's not paralyzed. Thank God. That's a start. Now, let's hope for the best beyond that. Not a major concussion or a major neck injury. Then reports come in about uh, significant neck pain. So it was neck, not concussion. It, it looked like it could have gone either way, though you saw his neck kind of tilt back funny, which was pretty scary. But luckily, luckily for Willis McGahee, well, he's back home right now, and a complete recovery is expected, and that is very good news. A quick quote, quote from Willis. I'm all right. Everything is okay, the running back told reporters as the Ravens cleared out their lockers. The MRI and the CAT scan checked out good. I was scared, but I didn't know how serious it was. It was pretty intense. Uh, I didn't even see him coming when they talked about Clark. Uh, Clark also collapsed, though. It was immediately apparent that his injury wasn't serious. Players from both teams gathered around McGahee, who lay motionless before being taken away. I blacked out, McGahee said. I woke up. When they were taking my face mask off, McGahee said, I opened my eyes and I was talking. The next thing I knew, I woke up in some room and they were taking me to the ambulance. So he was blacking out more than once. Another quick thing that he says, I felt I was okay. I felt like I was okay when I was on the ground, regained consciousness and started moving. But then they told me not to move. So I started to get a little worried. After we got inside, they took x-rays and told me everything was okay. So very, very good news for Willis McGahee there. Yeah, being told not to move, yeah, it's like immediately you think neck injury. Oh, boy, neck injury, spinal something, you know. So thank the Lord that Willis McGahee is going to be all right, is walking. And, uh, shucks, he's probably going to play football again. <laughs> so that that's that's. Pretty amazing, you know, we thank the Lord for that type of miracle. As these things happen in the NFL, and uh, luckily, miracles happen as well. So, Willis McGahee, best of luck next season, and uh, full recovery. Congratulations there, Willis McGahee. So, with that, that is going to be the conclusion of my show today. I hope you did enjoy it. Again, I thank all of you for listening, and I appreci- I'd appreciate it if you were to tell a friend about the show, please spread the word about Purple Mafia. 
This is episode number 24. We'll be back in a, in about probably two weeks. I may have a Super Bowl preview show next week. We'll see. It'll, be, it'll probably be a short little preview, a little conversation, and of course, anytime Viking news comes out, there will be a Purple Mafia show. So, uh, we will see what happens. Do take care, and we will talk to you very soon. <laughs>